shepherd kind, help him the wandering ones to find, who'll bring the lost ones to the fold, where they'll find shelter from the cold. Bring them in, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Out in the desert hear their cry, out on the mountains wild and high. Hark, tis the Master speaks to thee, go find my sheep where'er they be. Bring them in, bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in, bring them in. Bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Amen. We thank you, O Lord, for the word of God. We thank you for your redeeming blood that you shed on the cross of Calvary that saved us from our sin. We thank you, O Lord, for the price that you paid for us on Calvary. We thank you that we didn't have to suffer the punishment for our sins, Lord, but you took that debt yourself on your shoulders. You bore that punishment on your body on the cross, Heavenly Father. You took our punishment for us you redeemed us from the curse of sin you redeemed us from the curse and the punishment of all that we have done Lord and so how we have violated you so how we have broken your law so how we have gone astray but out of your mercy and out of your grace Heavenly Father you have poured it out upon us. You have lavished it upon us so that we might receive mercy, that we might receive a sonship and become part of that family of God. We received acceptance when we didn't receive, when we didn't deserve acceptance from you into your family. In Jesus' name, we ask that you would be with us, that you would continue to lavish and pour out your grace upon us each and every day as we fall short of your glory, as we fall short of the mark of your, of your grace. You continue. The Bible says that you give us more grace when we don't deserve your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And today, we're going to be looking at his word. We're going to be looking at what I mentioned in the services last Sunday, which was the two judgments. God has a judgment that he has in store for all mankind. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, there was a, a, a famous atheist that died recently. 
unfortunately, he never came to the knowledge of the truth. He never accepted Christ. In fact, he never admitted that Jesus Christ or God or any God, for that matter, existed. He died in his sins, rejecting God and even the idea that there was a God. In our uh, modern society, there's a lot of people that go way out of their way. This guy here that I'm thinking of, his name was Kitchens, very famous, wrote many books on atheism. Um, trying, He has done a great job of convincing uh, a lot of 20-something young people that there is no God and that religion is a foolishness. But we know as Christians that the Bible says that the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. So this is no surprise to us. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he said, don't be carried away by vain philosophies of men, but hold fast to the word that we have preached unto you. And um, unfortunately, many people these days are being carried away by what they're listening to in the university, by agnostic and atheistic professors um, who preach essentially preach a message that says there is no God and that science and reason and philosophy is the only place that we can find our morality. Um, God and the Apostle Paul, Peter as well, they addressed this issue many years ago. They said that the wisdom of man is faulty because we are attainted by our sin and the Bible says that our desires are inherently evil and full of iniquity, each and every one. And even our most lofty attempt at ethics and morality will fall short of God's mark of ethics and morality. So um, uh, my, my wish for you is that we pray for those who are in uh, the secular university uh, today that they uh, don't, uh, that they take what's taught to them with a, a grain of salt. Uh, like uh, the old fellow used to say, you, you eat the meat and you, you spit out the bones. I hope that they listen and take to heart what's useful to them and spit out the other secular uh, worldly uh, thought and philosophy that, that's taught along with it. And the problem with young people is it's hard. They don't have the life experience or the wisdom to be able to discern the, often the difference between those two. So they accept what they're taught um, because much of what they taught is good. What they're taught is good. So they take along with it the vain philosophies of men that discount the, uh, the truth of God uh, in the uh, face of science. But regardless of whether... Uh, Mr. Kitchens um, believed that there was a God or not, the Bible says that he will stand before a true and righteous God one day. And he will be required to proclaim that he is a God. God will be sovereign. God will um, pronounce his sovereignty over all of us. For us, it's easy because we accept God. 
we accept and we understand. And it, for us, it's a given that God created the universe, that, that he's given us his holy word in the Old and New Testaments, and we believe it by faith, and we accept it because we've come to know that it's true, and the Holy Spirit sp- has spoken to us and has wooed our hearts to him, and we've come to faith in Christ Jesus and, the, and once we, have, we came to faith in him and understood that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except by him, we have begun to grow in our faith and understanding of Christ, which is what we call sanctification, was we move towards a more Christ-like uh, behavior and a more Christ-like uh, spirit within us as we grow in our knowledge and understanding, and hopefully our implementation of the truth of the word in our lives and how we relate to others that are around us. But as I said, regardless of whether Mr. Kitchens accepts it or not, uh, he will stand one day before a holy and righteous God. And he will, as we all will, be required to uh, take and make an account for what we have done. There is in the Bible described two judgments. Um, you know, uh, it says in the Bible that we will not be judged in the same way as the lost are judged because they have rejected God. But there are two judgments that the Bible describes and we, in the Christian church, we call it the, the judgment of the saved, those who are believers. We call that the judgment seat of Christ. Um, in Greek, they call it the bima. The bima, if you go back to in the Greek society, the bima was the stand upon which the, in the, at the Olympic Games, when you give out the gold and the silver and the bronze medal, you would stand upon that bima, that raised platform, and upon that bema you would stand, and they would put a laurel, a garland of of uh, uh, olive branches on your head, a crown, and they would give to you your medal or your award. Sometimes even riches or money would come along with it in the early days of the Olympic Games. We still do that today. You know, some of us. Can remember back in the 90s when the Olympics came to Georgia and Atlanta. You may have traveled to Atlanta to see some of it. I remember in our little town, I took a class of students out to Omega, Georgia, there near Tifton, and we watched as the the uh, torch ran through the town. I remember it was a wonderful uh, experience to see that because I wasn't able to go off to see the Olympic Games, but it came to me, so that was nice. So it came right here to Georgia. So we kind of saw what that's all about. And, you know, people have continued that tradition of uh, uh, rewarding people for their excellence in athletics. And uh, they give to them that crown and they give them the medals. So we, um, the, the Bible, the Apostle Paul used that as an illustration uh, in the New Testament of how we as Christians would one day stand before God and he would, just like at that bema, at that bema seat, he would give to the, you would give to those uh, athletes their reward for being outstanding 
um, God will give to the Christian, to the saved person, their reward. Now, think about what was the uh, reasoning for giving the Olympian their medal? Performance. Performance. It was based on their performance. And it will be for us as a Christian because we don't have to worry about being saved. The price has been paid for our salvation. Jesus completed the price of salvation on the cross. That is over with and done. What we're concerned with when the Christian dies is what rewards will we receive for what has been done good or bad in our bodies? And what performance... How, as Paul says, how have you ran the race that has been set before you? You know, Paul said that he wanted to be able to stand before God and say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not only for me, he said, but for everyone who... uh, Uh, seeks his uh, appearance. So Paul said, I want to stand before God and I want to have run a good race like that Olympian. I want to have kept the course. You know, sometimes when when the race is run, you get an injury along the way and you fall down on the course of the race and you don't make it to the finish line. Paul said, I want to not only run the good uh, race that's set before me by God, his uh, God who orders our footsteps and our ways, but he wants to run a good race, and he wants to finish the course. He wants to cross that finish line for Jesus. He wants to complete the course. And you know, I remember, of some, I think about how some of my family members who have been great examples for Jesus in my family and how they have lived for God and they've gone on to be with the Lord. And I think about how they lived for God, how uh, through adversity and through trials and temptations and problems and sicknesses and things that came upon them, uh, they kept the faith and they finished the course. I had a friend this week, and on Facebook, he posted a question to some of the other pastors that were on there. He said, he said, you know, we had a person in our church, and, you know, we're Methodists, so we believe in the power, we believe in spiritual gifts, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal those that are sick. That's in the book of James. He said, but, you know, we had two people in our family, in our church family, uh, two young people, two children. Both of them had terminal illness at the same time. Different ones, but different illnesses, but terminal. One family's child lived. God delivered them. It was a miraculous healing. Doctors didn't understand it. Miraculous healing of that child. The other child got worse and worse and worse and died. And he thought to himself, he said, you know... I know that God's in control. I know that this, he said, I know that I were a Methodist, Wesleyan, Arminian, that we believe that that, uh, God is in control, but also mankind's in control. He said, I just wondered why why this child was delivered from their illness 
this child wasn't delivered from their illness. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought about it for a few minutes because I've been fortunate over the years in my ministry and growing up in the, in the ministry as well to see a few people who have received a healing from God um, over the years, and it's a wonderful thing, but we've also seen a lot. We've also been by the bedside of many who, who died and went on to, to be with the Lord. And I've often thought over the years, why was this one delivered and this one not? Well, we can, of course, see the sovereign will of God. God knows the purposes that he has. Like I said earlier, he orders our paths. He has the future in the palm of his hand. There was a reason for this child here to live on. God has a purpose and a plan for that life. But God had a purpose and a plan for this child, too, who died and passed away. And I told my friend after I thought about it for a while, I said, you know, of course, we don't know that his ways are higher than our ways. He sees farther, backwards in history, forward in the future. It's within his sovereign will. But I'll tell you this, I said, um, we have to think of it from a heavenly perspective. The Bible said, Paul said, to live is to suffer, but to die is gain. Sometimes there is a mercy in death. There is a grace in death. If that child had lived on, they might have suffered horribly throughout their life. God knows what would have happened to that child who died. That God knows what that illness would have done and ravaged their body and, and harmed their system. If they had lived on, on earth, what would have happened to that child? What suffering, what torment the child would have had to go through? But for that child to die is heaven's gain. Because this life that we live is just a temporary thing. It's here for an instant and it vanishes away. What counts is what's eternal. This life is only temporary. It's only here for a little while. But what counts is that child is in the arms of a heavenly father that loves them. They're delivered from their pain and their suffering. They're in a city of light where God is the light of that city and no evil or no pain and no suffering can exist. They're delivered from the pains and the suffering that rack that poor child's physical body. They're living with a heavenly father that's holding them in his arms where they can be for all eternity. So there is a mercy and there is a grace in death sometimes. We think of death as being final, and it is as far as this world is concerned. But this world is not all there is. We, are, we have a spirit, we have a soul that lives forever. And one day we're going to leave this, this body. One day I'm going to leave this body uh, that gives me a lot of trouble, and yours probably gives you different problems as well. And I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go to be with my Heavenly Father. And that's not the end, but that's just the beginning. It's just a translation from one form to another. You see, um, it's not final. And we're still going to continue on, but we're going to con continue on in a better, glorified way.
And as we are glorified, either when we are taken in death or when our our Lord Jesus comes again and takes us to him, we will stand before a holy and righteous God. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, looking in verse verse 1. He says, For we know that if our tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, this earthly body is but a temporary dwelling. It's just a tent. I'm just pitched here for a while. We have a building from God, a house that's not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. I have aches, I have pains, I have sufferings. You, we all do. This body is racked by sin and death. It is the flesh. But this is just a tent. It's just a temporary structure. And it may groan, it may have pains, but we are, as he said in verse 2, longing to put on our earthly dwelling. If indeed by putting on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that, that we would be further clothed. We're not trying to just escape the body. Okay, we're not trying to just escape the body, just to get out of this body that's full of pains and suffering and problems, he says. Even because we're burdened, we're not just trying to escape it so we'd be unclothed and out there in nothing. He says, but rather so that this mortal will be swallowed up by life. And what is that life? that eternal life, that eternal spiritual body that we're going to have with him. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God. God has prepared a place for us. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, you will be also. So we are always of good courage. So we can keep the faith. We can be strong, we can be cheerful, we can be of good courage because no matter what the devil brings about, no matter what he does to afflict this body that we must live in while we're here on the earth, no matter how many times Miss Mary falls down and hurts herself, she can know that the Lord one day is going to give her a glorified body and she's not going to fall down on the streets of gold. All right? She's not going to fall down while she's in heaven. She might fall down. This, this body might fail her temporarily here. But one day, God's going to give her a glorified body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, and she's not going to have to worry about falling down when she visits her friends at the nursing home. All right? She's going to be able to visit her friends in glory, and she's going to be able to walk on the streets of gold and not have to worry about hurting herself or falling down because God has given her a good, healthy, strong body. So be of good courage. We would rather, he says in verse 8, be away from the body. We'd rather be out of this body of flesh, this container of flesh. But we'd rather be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home with Jesus or away, like we are now, we make it our aim to please him. 
Here it is, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat, that Bema seat, that rewarding stand of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. So God is going to take us to this rewarding stand, just like the Olympian, to receive the reward for the course you have run as a Christian. We have that expectation. We have that to look forward to, that one day God's going to look in in the book of life and he's going to say, I see Miss Mary right here. Miss Mary, come forward and stand on this stand right here and receive your crown that is coming to you for your performance, for your diligence uh, with the Lord. And God is going to put that crown upon us. And he's going to look at what she did wrong in her life as a Christian. He's going to look at what she did right, and he's going to weigh those. So we're going to look back at uh, 1 Corinthians, at the first book of Corinthians in chapter 3, and where the Apostle Paul elaborates on this, uh, looking at verse uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to see how he further explains this. He says, according to the grace of God that's given to me, like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation. Talking about the ministry that Paul had had laid a foundation on there in Corinth. And he said, and someone else is building upon it. Talking about uh, Apollos, who had come in after Paul had left Corinth and gone out to preach in other places, in Rome, I believe. Um, Apollos had come and taken over the ministry of the church there in Corinth and had continued to uh, preach the word. And he said, and I laid a foundation. Someone else, talking about Apollos, has come upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So he said, let's take care how we build the church of God. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said it doesn't matter who the pastor is of the church. He said the church's foundation is Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Not a man. There's too many churches today where the, the, pers- the cult of personality of the minister uh, is all what the church is about. And Apostle Paul says, it's not about me, it's not about Apollos, he says it's about Christ, because we are servants that are assigned to the church. Verse 12, now if one anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, talking about the construction of a physical building and how we take these elements and we put them together to build a structure just like we would build a church, uh, the church, the assembly of God, like we would build the structure of the building in which they meet. For each one's work will become manifest. He says everything that we do for God will one day become known. The Bible said in other scriptures, what you do in secret is not really in secret because one day it'll become known. All that is hidden will become known. All that is uh, done behind closed doors will be made manifest. Your sin will find you out, but also your good will find you out because God sees to the heart of man. He knows what you did right and wrong. You might have concealed it, but he sees it. If you did right, he saw it. If you did wrong, he saw it. 
For each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. What day is he talking about? The day of judgment, when you stand before God. He says here, because, in verse 13, it will be revealed by fire. Now, last Sunday, when I talked about uh, this um, here, we talked about the Holy Spirit is a flame of fire. That Holy Spirit that pierces to the heart of man, that is the uh, spirit of the living God, is going to reveal the truth. So our, our, our uh, things that we did, uh, whether good or bad in our body, will stand before God. Those works will stand before God, and the Holy Spirit of God will reveal the truth. And he'll weigh those. And he says here in verse 13, if I can find it, he says that the fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, will test what sort of work each one has done. If, it, if the work that anyone has, has built on the foundation survives, it, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved. Why? Why will he still be saved? Because this is the judgment of the saved. It doesn't work. Paul says we're not talking about uh, if he has too many bad deeds, he'll get, it'll outweigh it, and then he'll go to hell. No. Paul said he'll still be saved because we're talking about the performance, the works done for a Christian. So the price for that person's salvation has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. So we don't have to worry about, that's why we're not working to go to heaven. We're not, our salvation is not derived by our works. Our rewards are derived by our works. So we are saved for the purpose of service. The Bible says you are by faith, by grace, are you saved through faith? Okay, so God's mercy and grace that we don't, we don't deserve, his grace leads us to faith. So by grace are you saved through your faith, that which is not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not, we're not saved because of our works. We would be able to boast for it and say, I got here to heaven on my own power. I worked real hard. You'd be able to say that if you, if works mattered. But faith alone is what takes us to heaven. And once we are, we have faith, then we are saved for the purpose of service. The Bible says you have faith unto good works. So we are saved by faith for the purpose of doing good works for God. We're saved for a reason. So we are saved by his grace that we didn't deserve. And then the faith that we have in him is what saves us. And because we have faith in him, we do good works. And those good works are what are going to be uh, weighed here by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And it's, they're going to weigh whether they're done good or bad in our bodies. So we are responsible for how we behave and what we do for God as Christians. And God is going to look at those works that we did and say, yes, he, he, Stanley Garland believed in me. Yes, he believed in, in faith that I was the son of God, that I would save him. And he accepted him into his heart. And he 
tried to do the right thing, but then he didn't live for me. So will I go to heaven? Yes. But will I lose those works? Because the works I did were not of God. The works that I didn't live for him, I didn't do what he told me to do. I didn't read the Bible and, and, and put it into, into service and work like he told me to be a good servant of Christ. I was freed, and then I sat down. God freed me from, from slavery of sin, but once I was a free slave, I laid down and I didn't do nothing else. So am I still free? Yes. But am I a good servant, a good uh, servant of God? No. So I will not receive the, the good measure of, of uh, rewards at that stand before God. So uh, a lot of problems in the church arrive from people thinking that we're working our way to heaven and we're not. And people accuse us Methodists of that because we believe in holiness and we believe in right living. At least you do if you're supposed to, if you're, you know, believe in the right Methodist doctrine. You believe in holiness and you believe that we should do good works because we're saved and because God told us to. And because he said this is how Christians live, therefore we do right and we try to be more Christ-like and we try to be more like him. And since Christ suffered and served, we suffer and serve for him. So uh, a lot of other people and other uh corners of Christianity say that, oh, you Methodists, y'all are trying to work your way to heaven. Y'all are trying to get there by works. And no, we're not. We're just trying to live the way he told us to live because we're saved, because we have faith, because we want to stand before a holy and righteous God and be able to say, we fought a good fight. We kept the faith. And we know that you've promised that a crown is laid up for us. If we follow that course and keep that faith. So he says here, um, if anyone has built on the foundation, if it survives the fire, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that this, that your bodies are the temple of God because his Holy Spirit dwells in you? All right, so therefore he says, your, your body is, the, is, since the Holy Spirit dwells in your body, God wants you to treat your body right. He wants you to live for him and to use your body in service for him. So that this is the saved. The saved are going to receive their rewards. They're not worried about losing their salvation because the salvation is, is there. God paid that price. But the lost, however, uh, will later on, the saved will first receive judgment because we are the church and he's received, God will receive us unto himself when he catches away the church of God to be with him at his second coming. He will take us unto his own and all the church of God will come unto him. But we will be judged first at this beam of seat of Christ for what is done good or bad in our bodies. Then we will come with him as priests and kings and fellow judges of the lost who rejected. And we look in the book of Revelation to see the end of the story where he judges the lost in Revelation chapter 20, verse, uh, starting in verse 11, where we see the great white throne judgment. Now, this is not a bema seat. This is not in Greek. They don't use that word bema, which means rewarding stand. They use the judge like in a court 
the judge, the judgment seat, the chair upon which the judge sits. And it says in verse 11 in, in Revelation 20, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat, who was seated on it, from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away. This is the awesome power of the Almighty God. It says, And there's no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. So as I said, God is going to bring every lost, unrepentant sinner before his throne. And the Bible says they will kneel before him and they will admit that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And they're going to look in that book of life and they're going to say, is their name written down? So the, the archangel, uh, God will say, is, is John Smith's name in the book? And the angel will open the book, the Bible says. And the angel of God is going to read and see what was written in the book. And it's going to say, no, John Smith's name is not written in the book of life. So let's see what it says here is going to happen. And it says, and the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and hell, Hades, gave up the dead. So the grave... And hell, where those Old Testament people had, had, had been put, who, who died in their sins, that rejected Jehovah God. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then he says, death and hell, Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And the last uh, scripture verse here in this chapter is most important. It says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, this the place of torment, if, if you die an unrepentant sinner, you reject the, the word of God, you reject the story of Jesus Christ that came to be your, your sacrifice and your way to escape hell. If you reject Jesus Christ on this in this life, the Bible says that here your name is not going to be written in the book of life and you will be cast into that lake of fire. The Bible says that when the rich man, uh, when, he, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he told him, and the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment. So the place of torment that you go when you die right this moment now, before Christ comes again, before this judgment, is a temporary place of torment. And it's bad. But it's not as bad as this lake of fire that's going to be that eternal place of torment where souls who reject Jesus Christ, the Bible says, will burn in a lake of fire. I remember years ago in the 80s and 90s, uh, Billy Graham put out a book and he said I, he didn't know if for sure that there was fire in hell. Right there it is. Okay, y'all y'all saw it. There's the fire. The Bible says the fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So there is an urgency to the gospel. The urgency of the gospel is if the people that we meet out there don't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, if they don't do it today while they have a chance, there is coming a day of judgment here in Revelation chapter 20 where, the, where a holy and righteous God will 
have a day of reckoning, and they will be turned into hell for all eternity. And it's unfortunate. And the Bible says, why would you want to receive punishment when God has given you so great a salvation? God has given us such a wonderful way to escape the damnation of hell. Why would we ever go there? Why would we ever choose to live on our own uh, desires when we could live for God and we could escape this damnation? I would much rather be on a, a rewarding stand at the Bema seat of Christ than to be before a great white throne judgment as a lost and unrepentant sinner. That's the urgency of the gospel. There are souls plunging into a devil's hell every moment as they die. You know, they rejected Jesus. They didn't accept his word. They didn't accept uh, what he did for them on the cross. They felt like they could live their own way. That's the urgency. That's why we spread the gospel. That's why we, we tell the lost souls about Jesus because there is a time when their reckoning must happen. A holy and righteous God can't allow sin to continue. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Sin must be punished or he's not righteous. He's not fair. He's not just. There is a day when a righteous God must have that reckoning. It must be done or else he's not a righteous God. So when we go out in the world today, if they think that we're fanatical, if they think that we're wild, crazy Christians that are all worried about uh, escaping hell, yes, we are because it's real and it is a place and we must spread the gospel while there's still chance, while there's still time so that we can uh, persuade, Paul said, the lost to, to seek him while there's yet time. Heavenly Father, we ask in your precious name, help us to spread your word. Help us to escape that punishment. Help us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ that will save you, that will give you repentance, that will give you that grace and mercy that you don't deserve, uh, that the lost sinner does not deserve. Yet you, you lavish us and you pour it out upon us in abundance that we can escape the punishment, the rightful punishment for the sins that we do. Lord, you have made such a wonderful sacrifice. You took the best that you had. You took your son and you sacrificed your son on the cross of Calvary for each and every one of us. You didn't hold back. You didn't uh, save the best for, for yourself. You gave all that you had. You shed all of your blood upon that cross to save us. You gave it all. You gave your all for us, Heavenly Father. Help us to spread your word. Help us to feel the urgency. Help us to feel the need to spread your word. Help us to understand that any time you could come again and receive us unto yourself. The time is limited to spread your gospel to the lost and dying world. Help us to feel that every day, remember that urgency, that need, that uh, great desire that we should have in our heart for, for the lost world, that we should Spread your word that we should witness to those that we come into contact because the time is near, the end is near, 
and any time you could come again to receive us to you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for all this mercy that you have poured out upon us that is so undeserving, God, so undeserving. The things that we do deserve damnation. We deserve punishment, God, but you gave us the death and the, and the of your son and you poured out his blood upon our hearts and you cleansed us from all sin and you help you help us through the power of your holy spirit to walk in righteous and newness of life in jesus precious name fill us with your spirit and give us strength and power each day as we live for you let us walk that and run that race that's set before us as righteous and good servants, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.